Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. A rare accomplishment. I didn't hit record until after Richard said the weird thing. So you'll just have to imagine what Richard might have said right before I hit record. Um, but with me today are Richard Cohen. Hello. And, and Mike Huber. Hello. Um, some of my favorite people, two of my favorite people. Um, so we're going to talk about a quote from Mike's book. Um, Mike's got a book out? Mike's got a book. Um <laughs> I don't know if listeners are aware of that because I very rarely mention it. What's it called? <laughs> Where do we buy it? All right, Mike, do all that stuff before. Okay, we... so it's Inclusion Includes Us. Oh, I forgot I have my background <laughs> on, so Blurry. I can't yeah. hold it up. But um, Inclusion Includes Us. It's mm-hmm. uh, with Redleaf Press, but it's available through Amazon also. If, um, and I'm sure... Um, there, there we, we go. go. Look at that. <laughs> Any other, you know, reputable bookseller. No, it is definitely educa- education. So it's yeah. niche, you know, for like most bookstores. Yeah. But, so far. Um, but if you asked your bookstore, your local bookstore to order it, they can. Yeah. And they probably would. They'd be happy to. Nice. Using well, I've heard it's a very good book. I personally haven't read past the part where you acknowledge me. But I heard the I rest figured of it I should have put it in the back because I knew that was that's where you were gonna stop. You acknowledge Richard. <laughs> nice. Well, I I acknowledged that early childhood nerd and oh, all nice. the folks that I've talked to on it, including oh, okay. Richard. Uh, I I, yes. I don't uh, I only yes. saw my name, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, oh Dan gets Dan gets oh, Dan's in there. Too, I th- yes, nice. he does. Yes. yes and he, he yeah, there is definitely Dan in here for sure. Oh god, I miss him. Um, okay, well, thanks, Mike, for your for for doing your plug. <clears throat> thanks for um, reminding me, both of you. <laughs> I am uh, your unpaid publicist. We established, That's true. yeah. Um, okay, so here's the quote, and and what's what we're doing here today is there's a quote that you posted on your Facebook page that's called "Inclusion Includes Us," um, and I guess Richard messaged you after seeing this, and the two of you had a. Uh, a chat a good talk about it and someone said we should do a podcast about this so that's there's the setup everybody yep. everybody's in the right place now and here's what what mike wrote appreciating diversity does not mean taking on cultural practices of others it is approaching difference with curiosity you guys go now <laughs> all right <laughs> i'm here to watch you recreate the, the chat you had yeah. Well, well the chat started want... with me. Well, but I think that you should start the conversation here. Okay. Okay. Well, you you did um, let me know. First of all, I did have a typo in the original. I forgot what, I think I missed a word when I typed it out. It was so, full of typos. It, 
I'm sure it was. <laughs> it's the worst quote meme I've ever seen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then um, Richard also said, you know, like, I didn't want to point it out on the Facebook page, but I thought, you know, it does really seem to be coming from, um, you know, a, a point of privilege, right? In this case, I think I was talking, I forgot what the quote was already, but about race. I know that I know in the context of the book, I'm talking about race and that as a white person, um, I was talking about, you know, being white. And so the quote by itself, like, seems to only be addressing white people. I, I think I have that right, Richard, but um, I, I might have said that slightly wrong, but but it definitely is coming from very much from my perspective, because that idea of just curiosity when I'm not facing, I'm not, you know, facing any sort of oppression from my own. It's like, oh, isn't that interesting? That's a different way of doing things. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I mean, curiosity wouldn't be the only word to use. In the bigger, you know, context of the book, the story I told, I think curiosity is the right word, but I took it, you know, just the quote and put it out there by itself. And I agree with Richard that I don't know that that's the right word, or at least to only use one word, that that necessarily works, um, because it does come from that point of, well, yeah, it's easy to be curious when it's, you know, right. like, oh, look at that other way of doing things that I never learned about. <laughs> right. And as I said in my in my message to you that um, when you're a person who is not a member of the predominant culture, um, you're immersed in the other group's culture. Like, you know, my understanding of other cultures is limited, but pretty much everyone's understanding of white male culture. <laughs> we've all been immersed in it since we were born and have, I'm not sure it's a point of curiosity. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, um, well, I don't know, do you, Heather, you look like you. Um, had... No, no, I don't, I, I okay. did. I know I looked like that because I'm looking at myself in the Zoom box, um, but I don't remember. I don't know what it was. Okay. Like. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think in this case, because basically, uh, maybe I'll tell the story. I was trying to find it in the book, but I can't find it. In my <laughs> Somewhere in there, I'm telling a story about essentially the way early childhood education culture is very much a white culture. So I brought my class to a puppet show and another class came to the puppet show as well. And it was almost all black children and black teachers. I, you know, sat down on the floor with the kids, with my kids, right? That classroom came in, the kids sat down and the teacher sat in chairs off to the side and my brain went immediately to oh you know they should be at the same child you know at the level of the child and all that and um you know this is the way i'm keeping kids like occupied while we're waiting for the show to start and all of a sudden one of the teachers just said oh you know hey um i don't remember the name of the child yet you know hey richard <laughs> why don't you um start a song and richard starts a song and then all the kids join in and to me, it was, um, I'm a bit of a gospel fan. I'm not Christian, but I am a gospel uh -huh. fan. And, and it was just like, oh, this is like Black Baptist style song leading, right? That, or at least Black church, Black uh -huh. Methodist churches do a similar thing, but where one person starts singing and then everyone else joins in, uh -huh. right? So in white churches, it tends to be every 
everybody in the choir has sheet music. In mm -hmm. black churches, one person starts the song and everyone else joins call it. And follows. Yeah. And sometimes they're singing together. Yeah, yeah. But it is call and response. And they and they will tell you, like, oh, the next verse, we're doing this. Or, you know, they'll sort of what you hear in the music often is the person. I can't do it as a song, but you know, we'll then say, <laughs> tell everybody, you know, oh, and there's okay. before the line, before the actual song line comes in. So they're speaking it um, or not speaking it. They are doing it tonally, but not, not on the, where the music tells you to sing. And so, you know, it was immediately like, oh, I had this view of what things were supposed to be like from this very white, you know, early childhood education perspective. And I'd like to think I wasn't judgmental, but I'm sure I was at the time of like, oh, they're not sitting with the kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have now been the I same bet way. I'm going to have to, you know, these kids are going to get, you know, impatient waiting for the show to start and I'll have to, you know, yeah. whatever. I'm sure I had that going through my head. And then it was like, you know, I was just like, like it just was one of those points was like, oh, I am so steeped. And the culture of VCE is so much my culture yeah. that I didn't even see there's other ways to do this, you know? So and so Mike, that was the realization for me. Yeah. So Mike, you're suggesting that the choice to sit on chairs rather than with the kids came from a, a point of culture and race? Um. Well, I don't know for sure, you know, this is my understanding of it. This is where the curiosity part for me comes in. Mm -hmm. I don't know for sure. I didn't have a conversation with the, the teachers afterwards or anything, but it looked a lot like what I had experienced with um, Black churches in general, right? That um, the child was seen as a capable person to lead um, this. And so the choice of sitting in the chairs was, well, if they sit there, if they come down at the same level, again, this is me being curious, I don't know for sure, right. that yeah. the kids would probably look to the teachers for, okay, so you're gonna start the song, which is exactly what I would have done mm -hmm. or probably was doing before they came in, was I'm the one who's trying to figure out what to do to keep kids occupied. And for them, you know, it, it was clear that, you know, this child was perfectly capable of doing and the child did more than one song, if I remember. Um, it was many years ago now. But um, yeah, it was just really... Um, so that's, and that's where the word curiosity, I used that word. But out of context, that's probably not the only word to use. Well, I know it's not the only word to use, but, um, <laughs> but then it's that thing when you're quoting your book. I am finding, as I'm trying to do these little quotes, that sometimes yeah. I have to not quote directly for it to make sense. Mm. Yeah, or to quote it out of context. Yeah. Or to quote it out of context. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Live and so, learn. Yeah. Um, but I well, thought it was really interesting. So go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say subjectively, anecdotally, I can just say in all my decades of being with classrooms and observing and consulting and all that, I've seen teachers of every race and culture sit in chairs. Sure. Um I, I think it's more about exhaustion and the chance to just sit uh, in a comfortable way and let someone else lead the children. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's related yeah. to culture or race or ethnicity, but um, I don't well, know. 
I think that's where the word curious comes in though, because you're not making a determination. You're not sitting back and saying, oh, this is the way that culture must do things. Right. Um, you wondered about it. And yeah. Um, so the, one of the things I experience myself and see when I am, uh, you know, doing a training or teaching a class with adults or whatever is just that discomfort. What if I do something wrong? What if I say something wrong? What if I, I can't know everything about every culture and even within the culture, there are subculture, you know, I can't know everything. So it's overwhelming. Uh, so I'm just going to sort of ignore and continue in my comfort zone. And so you're talking about white participants. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Shows. Sorry. Like mm -hmm. people like me. Um, right. Yeah. Mostly. And it's mostly white women, you know, that I, that I interact with in those contexts. Um, and so sort of, I guess for me, when I read it, I saw it as sort of a comfort, like, okay, I don't have to know, but I can be curious. And then for me, for me, that curiosity doesn't stop with just wondering, I have to go do some learning and, and listen to some people and read some people who have a different perspective on things. Does that make sense? Like I, it, it totally does. And I wasn't saying to Mike that um, curiosity was bad or that white people are bad for being curious. Yeah. More white people need to be curious. Yeah. The problem is we, for generally speaking, get all of our needs met. We have no incentive to be curious about people who don't. Right. Um, but if you think about uh, a person of color sitting in that same workshop, um, I'm not sure curiosity is, would would be uh, a motivation for them. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, oh, that yeah, I would agree. Resistance. With that. Can I say something? What mm -hmm. if I say it wrong? Um, I think they come at those moments from a very different, not they, but many of they mm -hmm. come come to that sort of a space from a very different place. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I certainly didn't as as much as I you know was saying before that I was probably judgmental in my own head. Um, and that gets at right implicit bias, or mm -hmm. call it. In my, um, but um, I was never worried that I would be judged, right? You know, for being down on the floor. <laughs> for for being down on the floor. <clears throat> um, it's the same thing I know in my own podcast, teaching with the body and mind. I remembered to actually say it. There you go. Time. There you go. Good job. Good. Um, but uh, we did an episode. Where can about... I find that podcast, Mike? <laughs> Why it's Spotify? wherever you can, you can find it on Spotify, um, okay. Apple podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you. Continue. Yeah. I hope you remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, we did an episode a long time ago, but it was about, um, cause often our podcasts are about things we observe. Saw a family where the child was, I think it was like, they were like, it was at the zoo. And there were like stepping stones or something, something where the child was sort of hopping from thing to thing. And, and, um, or no, maybe it was walking on the edge, like the, um, what do you a call little it? curb kind of thing, curb, you know, and just saying, oh, you know, it, it basically really interested in the child's curiosity or not curiosity, but they're like physical creativity, mm -hmm. I think is the term we use now for it in our little hive mind. But, yeah. um, I remember at that time bringing up that idea of like, right. And, it's probably important here in Minnesota, um, I can speak of that, 
there may be some judgment from other people of, oh, you're letting your child sort of break the rules. So there's something about it. I guess the curb went up higher, right? Mm. You know, it's like a path where the path was sloping down. So the curb at first was just a few inches, but then it was, you know, good 12 or 16 inches above. And the race of the people watching and the race of the parent and, and the race of the child would be factors in that of how that's perceived right? okay that you know there would be there could be judgment like um and in some ways um you know black parent or uh, bipoc parent might be less likely to let the child do that if they think they're going to get judged for it um and even if they do allow it they might get judged more for yeah. it, right that there's there's different ways that could go but that race plays a factor in how it might be perceived, how it might go from every person in that, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, if we, the spectator, the parent and the child. Um, so it was just, you know, it just reminded me of that, that those, um, you know, we don't often bring up race in conversations, especially like, you know, us here, but also teaching with the body and mind yeah. are all white and it's important to acknowledge race and at the same time, it doesn't often come up when we're mm -hmm. talking yeah. about this. Right. So, um, so that's so what we're I, acknowledging, by the way, that we three are three white people sitting around talking about race, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I know that this is a, a longstanding <laughs> challenge and frustration for Heather um, for this podcast, but I can't help but wonder how differently this conversation would go if we had yeah. people of color joining us in this discussion. Yes. Yeah. Would you say you're curious? <laughs> yes, Sounds it like is my curiosity. privilege. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly. Curiosity. I think curious is the right word when you're yeah. in the point of privilege or the place of privilege for that. Yeah. 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 You know, I wanted to bring, unless someone had a point about this. I, no, go for it. And a tangent slightly related though, when we were doing the, the cover, trying to come up with the cover for the book. Uh-huh. One thing I asked was, I do not want just like a visual image of a bridge, even though the subtitle, building bridges and removing barriers in early childhood classrooms implies that, you know? Uh -huh. And so, you know, it's like I said, I wanted a photo of real kids. Uh -huh. And we talked at first about trying to use photos from my program. And so out of the photos we have that we do have permission, we'd still have to get new permission for this yeah. particular use. But going through it, it was really hard to find something that, because it's basically one image to talk about how there's all these different ways that there are barriers, right? Mm -hmm. You know, in the book, I talk about four types of barriers and how do you do that in one image? And because usually the photos would be of, you know, at most two or three kids, um, some of the barriers, especially we do a lot of work with children, um, on the autism spectrum, ADHD, you know, and like, there's not a photo that's going to tell you that. Um, and so, it, you know, we really had a hard time finding mm -hmm. um, what to do. And even the, the way they ended up doing the cover, there's a photo with some racial diversity, some seems like there's some developmental di uh, differences. Mm -hmm in there and then still did these silhouettes above to try to get it more 
things. And one of the things I loved is the the uh, person who designed the cover and I both have children with autism and the child in the middle, right above my name, who's sort of jumping, that was actually supposed to be, yeah, that she said <laughs> looks like her child stimming. Oh, okay. That's actually what she was going for because she was like, I wanted autism to be on here, but it's hard to say like, Mm -hmm. but one image is going to represent yeah, yeah, yeah. all of the right. facets of right that. and so um yeah but it was the same thing right that you it's it's hard when you start to pare down whether it's a quote or whatever you know what do you exclude as you mm -hmm. um pare down or even when you simplify a uh, concept that i think i said to richard later in our uh, you know chat that I want a discussion to start right. with the quotes, right? Uh -huh. And so my hope is that it, it, you know, pokes just enough. And sometimes they're very like, you know, I sometimes I don't try to poke people too much, but it's more like a feel good quote, you know? Uh -huh. like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. you're, you know, it's hard teaching, but you'll be okay. Well, yeah. I like to think of them as Reggio-like provocations. That's the yeah. stuff that I post on Zen. Zen yep. and the Art of Early Childhood on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you. And YouTube. Um, yeah. I'm kind of a provocateur. I do yeah. put those things out there knowing people are going to lose, some are going to lose their minds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I pretty much know ahead of time which ones are going to trigger them. Yeah. Uh, but I do that on purpose because I, I see it like a provocation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you're very active in the comments. Like that's... Yeah. Um, you know, on, on my face nerd page, it's very different. I don't, I don't try to start those things as much because I know that I'm not going to be able to be, or, um, I'm not going to prioritize being in the yeah. comments to, uh -huh. to manage all that. But that's something Richard that you do really right. well on your page. I have yeah, no yeah. life. <laughs> and so I have time. That's why I said prioritizing that. instead of, cause that is your yeah. priority to get in there. And no, it's true. It's true. Yeah. No, but I, I'll tell I you the same way. I, I wish I, was more active in my comments, but, yeah. and maybe I will be, yeah. get that way, but go ahead. I'll, I'll tell you another anecdote related to the cover of your book. Um, so back in the day, I um, worked at a bunch of different national organizations. I uh, wrote and edited a textbook for the Council for Professional Recognition. I did the professional development training series for what was called NACRA at the time and created a couple of training manuals Loved for NACRA. some corporate child care. Okay. I didn't know it was you. Okay. That, uh, the professional training part yeah, was me. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, anyway. and I think, no, the first time I encountered this was when I was working for the corporate childcare preschool programs and we were creating these training manuals and I needed photos. And so generally the company or the organization hires the photographer and you tell them what you want and they go out and do it. And 99 out of 100 times, those photographers are white males. Mm. And the stuff I got back were of white children. Or interestingly, if the children were of color, the cameras were placed higher and looked down on them. Oh, and I was really? like, oh, no, you do not. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. So at all of the so ever since that moment, every time since then, I've had to say to my boss, um, I'm going to be the producer for the photo shoots. Um, you know, I, I get that you're going to hire the photographer because they're a vendor for our organization and that's fine, but I'm going with them and um, I'm going to help them see not only 
I'm not only am I going to make sure that uh, that they choose to respectful photos of diverse children mm -hmm. and that I get shots of every type of kid I possibly could. I'm going to have to go search the lo search locations to make sure I do that. Um, but also the stuff that they take pictures of are teachers at chalkboards and children doing worksheets. And I had to make sure that the photos actually represented developmentally appropriate practices mm -hmm. because culturally the white male photographers don't know about any of the, any of those things. Right. And um, without someone to guide them, they end up photographing the apps, the things that we three would never want to put in our publications. Right. Yeah. It's just, that's another example of privilege. Yeah. White privilege. Sure. Yeah. yeah. White privilege. Right. In and fact, in the, the original essay on white privilege, that's one of the things that she lists right away is I know that I will see photos of people that look like me. Right. Yeah. You're talking about unpacking the invisible yeah. backpack? Yeah. From a million just, years ago, but it stands the test of time. It does. And, and she has like she's actually pulled it from its original place on the Internet so that only the um, her revised edition is there because she has other questions and her point in the introduction to the new version is these questions were ones that came to me in whatever year that was i forgot now 1989 yeah. or whatever okay wait but, did i black out who's she Who are we oh peggy peggy mcintosh oh i thought it was, oh no you're right mcintosh okay yeah. mcintyre mcintosh i think mm, okay. bad. i might it might be in my references in my book i know i looked at it again oh there goes heather she's For looking my book i know <laughs> if i leave it to the nerd maybe i don't know how to find no, appendix no quickly. m names in your oh my gosh okay i'm no. almost positive um it's yeah. mc i think you're right Peggy Peggy yeah. okay sorry Anyways, she, um, i was like nodding along and then realized yeah. wait i missed she you. listed a bunch of questions but you know now she has more questions <laughs> and she part of it is that she wants people to keep doing it. And essentially all the essay was, she was a woman's studies professor and they used the term male privilege mm. all the time. And she's like realizing whenever I have conversations, when it's other white people, these things don't come up. And when I start talking with colleagues that are, aren't white, other things come up and it's like, wait, am I experiencing, like, is this the same thing I talk about what men do, mm. but it's because of my race. And so she used the same term, you know, borrowed the that same term, male privilege, and came, came up with white privilege. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, anyways, that, um, you know, even her questions, she, part of it was like, these aren't exhaustive. These are just the things that once you start to think about it, oh, what do I expect when I listen to a podcast? I probably, unless I seek out something else and, and you know even like illustrations is another one because i started writing picture books the picture book industry is notorious for having white children depicted and part of it yeah. is when able it's a new able-bodied white, able white, white kids unless it's in the the um text the child right. is not white and it's partly because when you're a new author they're going to find an author with or an illustrator with you know a track record meaning they've been in the industry longer meaning 
they're white and yeah. male. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. That's right. And so unless you put it in this text, it's not. And I had the privilege, I guess I'll use that word, yeah. of having Kira Ostendorf as my editor. And her first thing was, well, you know, this has to look like the classrooms or the group programs that, mm -hmm. you know, the readers will have. And so that was baked in and it, and I didn't have to put it in the text because I knew my, the editor who's then going to hire the illustrator would um, do that part. Although, yeah, that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to go off on another tangent, but yeah, that's not what yeah. I'm talking about. We don't do that on this show. No, no tangent. <laughs> we stay no focused. Tangent. We stay focused. And we only, and only one person at a time talks. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And we don't say fuck. Oh, oh right. I can't. Now my can't use Richard. this phrase. Shit, Richard. <laughs> um, I do have a, an iTunes review of the podcast now that is critical of our use of bad language. Oh, well, fuck them. <laughs> right? Um, that was exactly what I said. In the <laughs> that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because I sent that to the, the people. Yeah. But if you don't like this podcast, I'm sure there are others out there. Right? That's why we've got the explicit this warning. This one is not. Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Mike, can I ask, can I interview yeah. you? Kind of like ask you a question? Yeah, yeah. So your book's about inclusion. Yes. And to me, that's a fairly new topic in our field. Yeah. As in the last 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And when most people think about that term, and most people don't think about that term, but when most people think about that term, they think about uh, physical abilities yep. or disabilities, right? Yeah, But that quote that we've been talking about uh, connects inclusion with cultures and a whole lot of other ways of being diverse than what our bodies can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could explain for a moment um, the, I'm going to say, new, broader definition of inclusion that people yeah. might benefit from hearing you explain. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll start with, I started with... Um, the work of Tom Shakespeare, who's pioneer with disability studies and disability rights, he talked about three types of um, barriers that uh, disabled people face, physical, informational, and attitudinal. And then in talking with my editor now, Melissa York, um, before we really started, before I started writing, but, but there was a collaboration at the beginning. Um, she was like, it, you know, in race and culture have to be like, um, in there throughout. It can't just be, here's you know, the a section chapter. on race. Yeah. 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 And so <laughs> what the way Did I decided say to why? do, um, I don't want to misquote her, but it was about <laughs> okay. the fact that race and culture are always present. Mm -hmm. right? right. And that, um, and that inclusion includes an inclusion that aspect of humanity. Yes, yes. Those are definitely both there. So I don't know her exact wording, but it was um yeah. But it's definitely very clear. And so I went to Tom Shakespeare's things and I added I just refer to it as cultural barriers as well, um including race and and what that really allowed for was So there's always similarities and differences when you talk about different levels of um hierarchy or whatever you want to call it, cultural hierarchy and things, but um, it allowed for intersectionality to be talked about. So um, 
a whatever black wheelchair user will have a different experience than a white wheelchair user mm -hmm. and a you know uh right whatever poor white we wheelchair user will have a different experience than a rich black wheelchair user whatever you can go to different ways to look at it um but it also allowed for things like what are some similarities between this gets at my idea about multiple experts that Heather and I talked about at some point this week. Yeah. Yeah. There's been way too much. We have too much free time right now. There's, yeah. <laughs> but um, that idea that when there's a transracial adoption or a child, maybe the child's deaf, but the parents aren't, or a child's trans and the parents aren't, <laughs> there's a cultural, there's a part that the child is a part of a culture that the parent isn't. And um, there's some similarities, some things you can learn from that. And you also, you know, obviously every situation is slightly different, mm -hmm. um, you know, but, um, but it does bring up some interesting points. So when I, we have a child, for example, who is deaf, parents aren't, and, you know, we're helping parents also with how to communicate with your child. I know, Heather, you have a lot of experience with, um, oh, sorry, you're, I'm muted um, so I could cough, but I'm with you. Yeah, I was just realizing, um, <laughs> working with parents in, in similar situations, but um, one of our, one of my colleagues is um, Korean American in a, who was adopted early, you know, transracial mm -hmm. adoption. And so we got into the conversation of what are some of the things that, you know, essentially comes down to with this particular child, cochlear Mm-hmm. It does mean that the child can communicate with parents more easily. So that bond increases, but it also might mean the child has a harder time communicating with other deaf people as mm -hmm. as she gets older. Yeah. And so we were talking about that. And my, you know, friend was going into in kind of a similar thing of visiting Korea, having grown up in a white suburb with white parents, mm -hmm. and taking Korean class where like, you know, every Saturday they'd get together with other Korean adoptees, but the difference between that and going to Korea yeah, and suddenly realizing, oh, I can't communicate. Uh, so it was just, you know, we didn't have any answers, but it was interesting the way those questions could be brought up. So that's a long winded way of saying <laughs> by including culture, including race in the equation or other cultural elements, it also gets into some of the things that come up even, even within disability and also other ways that we exclude children. Because I think that's the main thing I want with my book is that um, is we start using the word exclude more often. So when something is not set up for a child, that's excluding them. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. One of the really powerful things about the way you you talk about inclusion in your book is to also say, well, then there's a flip side, right? If we have inclusion, we also have exclusion and we need to say that out loud. Um, right. We and need it's, to, we need yeah, to I have to say our, our staff conversations sometimes are hard. Yeah. Right. And it's likely that because of privilege, we don't even see the exclusion that's yeah. happening. It, yes. It, it exists beyond our awareness. So it's hard to be curious about it if you don't even... Yeah, there's, there's steps you have to, to take. Yeah, you right. first have to notice. Yeah. And then have to, but you know, my, the center I work at 
Um, we, we do have a downtown location in Minneapolis as well, but the location that we started at is in an area that didn't have white people until about 1870, maybe a little later than that. Mm -hmm. And it was only Dakota people who had been there, maybe by 1870, some Ojibwe too, but still it was Native American. And then Minnesota, actually, this is the week marking when it happened, but the largest uh, mass execution in the United States happened right here in Minnesota, uh -huh. actually right here in St. Paul, where I am, um, where 38 Dakota men were um, hung. Um, Abraham Lincoln did pardon two, there were supposed to be 40, oh um, but still 38 people executed by the United States government. And, um, and whatever, we can go yeah. into... It's a whole different podcast if you want right. to hear more about yeah. why. Yeah. But to say that then Dakota people were removed from the state, um, or at least this area, most of the state. So it's that weird thing of we are on land, like our center is not only on land that was once Anishinaabe, but very much, you know, our organization benefited from the fact that these people were Oh. you know forced out murdered um and yeah kind of one of our next things is what do we do about that mm -hmm. in terms of you know the services we provide how we provide them what we own or don't own i mean it gets into so many different things and mm -hmm. i'm not going to go <laughs> We haven't even done the brainstorming of who are we partnering with to have these discussions. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it's, but it brings it up. And then, um, yeah, so that was long-winded. That, that's even a whole, now you're right, that started. is a whole other, um, yeah, wait, I don't, that's so sobering. Um, Agreed. But we, but we're, I'm, I've been, educating myself and teaching leadership in our organization right yeah. you know so that's part of it is you know we were around for 60 years before well as far as i know anyone brought it up maybe yeah. someone brought it up at some point but yeah well i think that so mike oh go ahead richard well i was going to say what does it take from you mike as a white male to be in the position you're in which i guess i would say is coaching among other things yeah yeah to coach people uh, who aren't white males, like what, right. if you had some advice for other white folks in your position, what would you give them? How, how, how can yeah. they be inclusive yeah. in their jobs? Right. And I, I do think it, so what, well, and I do, I mean, I, I think the word curiosity is the word I'd use for it is I can observe things, but I also want to know, you know, I, I noticed you do this. I was wondering what you were thinking. So getting them to reflect on something I observed before I ever tell them what I thought they were trying to do mm -hmm. or what I thought the result was. Because sometimes um, I can be way off, right? So um, yeah, I can think of one individual particularly where... Um, my understanding of her has really come from coaching. Um, she's uh, Ukrainian, 
um, started at our center before she spoke English. Mm. And, you know, there are certain things she would do that just like, that's not what we do in early childhood <laughs> education. And then when I learn what she's trying to do and there, ha I mean, it's a, it's a two way path. I love um, that idea of bi-directionality, right? Mm -hmm. That uh, I have to learn what her intention was and then what, what do you think, how do you think it worked essentially, right? And so um, it's really amazing to see like how things that I thought I knew, I, I was wrong about. Um, mm -hmm. right. And she's just someone I've worked with now for like five years doing this. So I, mm -hmm. I um, really, and, and really feel like I just totally, uh, didn't get it, but I think I think with everyone, because even the idea of there's, I'm, I've only worked as a coach with, um, well, I have the second man I've ever worked with now, just mm -hmm. starting, right? So even the gender part of sometimes I don't right quite um, know what's going on, so I have to be really curious, and I do think that it's helped me to be a male in a female dominated field because I always have to have that curiosity. So then when there's other cultural differences, race differences, whatever, I've been practicing this curiosity yeah. and, and to, to ask, um, try to understand what the intention was. And then I can talk about, um, you know, my feedback around it and, and, <laughs> So I, so I think that's the main thing. So it is funny that I'm going to the word curiosity, yeah. <laughs> but, but I do think, but part of that is also owning when you suddenly like, Oh, you know what? I really, you know, I was going to say this, or I'm noticing this or, you know, that's interesting. It hasn't been my experience. And now, um, now I'm understanding it differently, like own up when, when I get things wrong mm -hmm. or when, um, uh, when like, you know, your, whatever your viewpoint suddenly, yeah. uh, you know, got, got in the way, I don't know, got in the way yeah. is the wrong word, but so you know, limited. you have your perspective. Yeah. Is this where, um, uh, cultural humility becomes part of the conversation? Yes, for sure. Yeah. And yes. that's, which is so difficult to do humility. when we are in a system that benefits us. Right. It's difficult to have any kind of humility where, we're like, okay, so some people are different, but my way is still the right way, right? <laughs> right, um, right. Unless we have that, um, oh, maybe my way is not. I, I'm reading this this book, and um, Mike and I have talked about, and I've by the time this comes out, my um, episode with Michael Gramling will have come out, but it's called Child Care Justice. I, the subtitle is Transforming the System of Care for Young Children. It's a series of essays, and I one that that I read this week was written by um, I think Rebecca Berlin and Kira Osten Ostendorf. Um, and one of the things they point out is that I think I'm remembering right that that's the essay it comes from, the chapter it comes from. But at any rate, so many of our definitions of quality and our measurements of quality and our idea of what early childhood education should look like is really white normative. Yeah. Um, and I, I, that's, you know, so I think that's kind of your story about the puppet show maybe is a good illustration of what, yeah. how, how white normative, white normativity fits in there. Um, right. and that the language is new. Like I, 
as I was reading, I was like, okay, yeah, I've, I've kind of mentally instinctively felt some of those things, but now I have language to talk about it differently. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, so I guess it's the same thing with cultural humility, maybe is what I was trying to say is that having, having, I, I just really believe that the language we use impacts how we think and how we think impacts how we act, how we act. So for me, having that, you know, the word curiosity is helpful for me um, as I, as I try to be a better ally to multiple, <laughs> multiple groups, um, cultures and, and, um, and uh, cultural humility and, you know, thinking about things in terms of being white normative, that's powerful for me. And I think and also tells like, me when I think I've arrived, when I think I've I'm really the the ally now. I I know everything, you know, I'm I'm a feminist and I'm an ally and I'm da, da, da. no. Right. <laughs> I've never uh, arrived. And yeah, and I think it really the humility term is the one that works the best. I think what I do, because I do think I'm I'm okay at this, or like, you know, I um is that I always try to phrase things as for me or from uh -huh. my perspective. And that's, that's I think good. even in the book, I say that it wasn't in the quote that ended up on Facebook, but in the book, I did it because I am very careful about always trying to say it that way. So then when I get something wrong or when I just, you know, have that blind spot because it's not my way. And, and again, the other part of cultural humility is that my experience is also valid. It's just that, yeah. It's not the only one. So that me sitting with the kids wasn't wrong either. Mm -hmm. It's just that it wasn't the only way and it's not a better way. Right. It just fit into the way I culturally interact with um, my classroom currently or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And and, um, and that I think is important also as you're learning, you know, there's that sometimes that thing of like, oh, well, and therefore everything in ECE is wrong. And that's not necessarily true either. The problem is that the way things are done now have excluded mm -hmm. way too many children and families and teachers and mm -hmm. caregivers. Yeah, so I think it's important to bring teachers into this too, right? Yeah. Like we, we have colleagues that we exclude when we're focused on our white normative ideas of how things should be. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, some of my biggest changes were actually listening to teachers and it was less about the like at first thinking about it as the, the white system, but mm -hmm. more about like all of these assessments, you know, teachers tell me that it's hard to actually interact with kids. Yeah. And it's like, like, what more do you need? <laughs> I mean, you can go into the roots of that and this idea, you know, this whatever um, deifying academia or whatever yeah. or you could just say i could just ask this person who is interacting with these kids and telling right. me this thing i have to do for the qris system is way too time consuming i have to choose between these two mm -hmm. and um that was where i first started you know my erosion of like oh this system doesn't make sense mm -hmm. and that's even that was well some of those teachers were white working with mostly white kids. It was, that was actually one that kind of crossed almost every culture that I worked with. Yeah. Like, yeah. This, these assessments are <laughs> too much. Like, right. <laughs> um, I'll take it back. And I, I want to yeah. just mention something from about 10 topics earlier. <laughs> okay. 
um, because at least one of us is admittedly long-winded. But anyways, <laughs> it's not me. Right, right. Um, I'm nothing like that. No. Um, You're so brave you to try it now. Thank you. <laughs> um, wow, that means a lot to me, Heather. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, no, when we talk about humility and curiosity, I just want to point out that, um, you know, to tie it back to our wonderful NAEYC and their standards yeah. uh, for dispositions, et cetera, being a lifelong learner yeah. is one of the things that makes an early childhood educator. Excellent. In their professional preparation standards, that's like outlined as one of their elements that you have that's to right. have. Yeah. That's right. And so to be a lifelong learner, you have to be curious and humble. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not either of those things, lifelong learning learning isn't going to happen, much less across your life. Yeah. And the other thing I'd point out, because it's always my one of my pet topics or whatever, is we're talking about process versus product. And yeah. if you live in the process um, and really embrace that, yeah, you gain so much more insight than if you're focused on the right answer or the product. Mm -hmm. Just wanted to throw that yeah. out Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and a well, whole and other, other episode thing, then is <laughs> right. <laughs> never mind. Go ahead. What's your other? Well, thing? the other thing on a on topic nine topics ago <laughs> instead of ten, or maybe mm -hmm. it was eleven. I can't the countdown. Sure. When I asked Mike uh, what it takes as a white male, well, oh, that's that is where you said uh, curiosity and humility, right? In coaching non-white male folks, um, and I, I was just going to add, I think the other thing is the ability to hold safe space mm -hmm. for those folks. Yes, for sure. Uh, in order for them to share their lives with you and to learn with you, they have to know that you're safe. And yeah. as a white male, you know, so I teach community college in Hartford, just outside of Hartford, Connecticut. So most of my students look nothing like me. Hmm. And I have to work really hard to gain their trust. And so I structure my semesters where the really difficult conversations don't come until later in the semester, until they can really feel sure that I'm safe. Mm -hmm. um, and as a white, and I know that, or I believe that as a white male, um, I enter into those relationships assuming their distrust. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Right. And then I work to earn it. Yeah. By building a relationship, just to bring it back to the thing we love to talk about on yeah. the Nerd Podcast, yeah. by building relationships, caring relationships with them. And then right. that creates the space in which the learning, uh, the co-learning can happen. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. Because my other role, I, we should probably, hopefully it's a wrap. <laughs> yeah, let's, my other we, role we've been going an hour and we're not is, slowing down. Diversity. Hello, it's me. <laughs> diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I I do trainings across the agency, mm, so mm -hmm. not just early childhood education. Right. And there are times when, well, one, there's a BIPOC group that meets separately, so people are always invited to that. There are times in rooms where I'm facilitating something where I offer to leave. Um, when it doesn't make sense for me to be there. Like mm -hmm. when the conversation is more important than me being there, it's more that I got the office space or, you know, the oh. the space and got them out of their classrooms or their um, whatever, you know, found times when they weren't with clients or depending what 
agency. And that's the important thing. And if I haven't built the relationship around it, I can't be there yet, you know? And, and, um, and I think it's, yeah, I guess that is really an important part of that is the relationship for me, because I'm with the coaching, I'm also in the classroom a lot with kids. And so part of the relationship building is I try to do things that are, you know, I am going to sweep the floor. I'm going to like, what are the things that I know I can do to help in this classroom right now? Because right. the teachers are with kids, mm-hmm. uh, you know, change diapers, whatever it is, like, and interact with the kids. But I'm, you know, just showing right away that I'm not like, well, I'm, I'm above the yeah. sweeping of the floor. I'm above this. I'm admin. But a lot of our relationship <laughs> building happens um, in that context for me, because it's, uh-huh. you know, so we're often, um, it, you know, even just in the hallway, almost always it's, they're going, it seems a little, the teacher looks a little stressed of like, oh, hey, what can I can do to help? Should I go in the back? Should I, is it child you want me to like hang out with, or, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, and so it, but you're right. That does that safe space um, is important too. So I'm glad you brought that one up because yeah. that definitely went like clearly, like I, I know there's people when they first start, I can't have certain conversations around, you know, or, or with or uh, about certain yeah. things or, or shouldn't, or, you mm-hmm. know, assume. And actually there is, yeah, another group that I haven't built that with because they're at yeah. the other location. I don't see them enough. And it's the relationship building is still in process. Yeah. And I did try to jump the gun a little bit once and realized, oh, no one's talking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's that reflective practice. Yep. Piece yes. Out. The reflective yeah. practice is really important. So, yeah. Uh, well, this has been really um, a really good conversation. I love you both, but I uh, have to pee. We love you so. too. Oh my gosh, so do I. But yeah, and Richard, thank you so much for reaching out too, because I thought it was a really. Sure. Yeah. I've been thinking about it ever since. And then... yeah, yeah, I'm glad that um, I'm glad that uh, this conversation happened and that you thought about the podcast for it because I think this could be really um, really meaningful for a, for a lot of of people listening. And maybe uh, let me make one plug. Okay. And I don't, Heather, I'm going to, I'm going to assume I'm speaking for you, but you tell me if I'm not. Okay. I think I am. Which is for anyone listening, if you or anyone you know are early childhood professionals of color, um, reach out to Heather. Oh, please. Yes. Um, you, you have a place in this podcast Yes. and we would love for it to be more diverse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Thank you for doing that, Richard. I, I would not have been brave enough to do that. So oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, but I really do have to pee. So <laughs> all right. <laughs> so thank you both. It's great seeing both of you. Thanks everyone Bye. for Good listening. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.